0: a day to be alive in Austin, Texas. How about baptisms in the house this morning? That's a fun day. Always great to be reminded why we do what we do. Uh, Real quickly, before we dive into the message today, I want to extend an invitation to those of you who consider Lake Hills Church your church home. If you're visiting with us, first of all, we're thrilled you're here. Honored that you would be here. But if you are a part of the Lake Hills family, Then I want to invite you to join Julie and me, join our staff, as we kind of do an end-of-year initiative called Finish Strong. What we're talking about is just an end-of-year initiative towards our giving, above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings, so that we can do a few things strategically, but also set ourselves up for a strong 2022. A few of the things we want to do is our kids' buildings is now 10 years old, desperately in need of some technological upgrades and redos. Uh, We want to be able to reduce debt at a faster pace than we're normally doing. But then also, as I said, we want to set up 2022 for an amazing year of ministry. So we would just ask you to pray about, ask God to guide you in whatever he leads you to do or not to do. That is a win between you and God and for us as a church family as together we finish strong. Finishing strong is an amazing opportunity for us as a church family, and uh, I just invite you to participate in that at whatever level, at whatever pace you would like to, and we will give God all of the glory for what he chooses to do through the church family. We've had a number of calls, particularly over the last few months, as people are kind of starting to strategically think about... um, Uh, charitable giving, you know, we've had people ask, can we give stock or whatever? Yes, you can give stock. If you've held a stock for over a year and you give it to the church or any nonprofit, then the capital gains are not taxed. So, you know, as you kind of think about that and look at what's coming down the pike in 2022, that's something to be thinking about. You can contact our office, Jamie Keller, in our front office. We'll help you kind of get all that taken care of, but we wanted to answer that and address those questions as they come up. And uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, just as your pastor, I'm so beyond grateful to you for the way that you have been so faithful over the last 18, 24 months. It's been an amazing, amazing thing. And so thank you for being that kind of a church. Now, let's dive into the message a little bit, shall we? You know, If you were here at our Christmas services last year, you might remember that I introduced to you, actually brought out on stage, our dog, Gus. You might remember we brought him out on stage and I talked about, you know, what an amazing gift he had been to our family. He came along at the perfect time because of where Julie and I were in life and because of the kind of dog that he is. That's, listen... That's objectively just a great looking dog. I don't, I mean, I'm biased, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? And I'm happy to report that Gus has continued to mature and to grow. He recently turned two years old and, and is doing great. He's healthy and, and doing an amazing job. Still loves to He goes nuts on the retrieve. All those kind of, you know, things that we do around the house and and in his life. But we did have kind of a scary moment just a few weeks ago. I had taken him outside on one of these Bluebird Chamber of Commerce Austin afternoons when the weather was kind of cooling off. It wasn't like 103, but it was probably about 85, 90 degrees outside. So I was watching him. I even had him on a pitch count. I was going, "We're going to do 10 retrieves and go in." So that's exactly what we did, and we got inside, and and he was panting hard, and and because he'd been running really, really hard, and got him inside. He got some water, and he kept panting, kept panting, kept panting, and. I was kind of keeping my eye on him, and when all of a sudden, I noticed that it looked like he was having trouble walking, like he he was wobbling a little bit, and and I noticed his his hind legs were kind of giving out on him, and I kind of got a little got a little scared, and I went over, and picked him up, and I laid him down, I put his head in my lap, and kind of tried to soothe him and calm him down, but he just <laughs> just panting so hard, ninety to nothing, and Julie went and got the water bowl for him and brought it to where he was sitting there in my lap, it was kind of. Lapping it out of the side, and it would have been kind of funny if I wasn't kind of scared, honestly, at the time. And he just would not quit panting. So I called our vet and I said, "Hey, I don't know what's going on, but I just got Gus inside from a little retrieving session, and he's kind of freaking out a little bit. I noticed that he was kind of like it looked like he was having trouble walking, and he was kind of wobbling. And and, and you know, it, I, this is how I describe it to you. I've seen it looked like he was drunk a little bit." And she said. You know, that's kind of how they present when they're overheated. It sounds like he just got overheated. It looks like something neurological is going on or like he's had a stroke maybe, but it sounds like he's just overheated. If you can get him into some room temperature water, don't let it be too cold, but get him into some water and especially the parts of his body that don't have as much hair on, like his belly and his foot pads, that's where they release their heat. So if you can get him into some water, kind of keep an eye on him. And if you need anything, call me back. So I said, sure enough. So we went and got kind of a little wash tub that we have and filled it with water and picked him up. And I put him in the wash tub and he (laughs) said, just like 90 to nothing, panting. But I noticed over the next four or five, six minutes, he kind of started to calm down a little bit. And he, he started to kind of catch his breath a little bit. Then he laid down in the water, started drinking the water. He was lying in and things started to move in the right direction. But I'll be honest with you, there for a few, I've never seen a dog do this before. There for a few minutes, it was kind of scary. But here's the thing about Gus and retrieving. Number one, he's made for it. He, he He is the epitome. He is the icon, the culmination of 200 years of breeding for the Labrador retriever. And so he's, he's bred for this kind of activity. He's made for this kind of work. He is trained for this kind of work. We have spent hours retrieving, retrieving, and retrieving. It's now just a reflex. When I pick up the retrieving dummy or maybe the, the chucket that throws the tennis ball, he goes nuts, he goes, <laughs> like starts spinning around in a circle, wagging his whole body. It's kind of like how Julie responds when I come home at the end of the day. <laughs> And uh, I don't know why you're laughing at that. So he, he's made for it. He's trained for it. He's rewarded for it handsomely. Every single time he brings the ball by, I'm like, good boy, Gus. Way to go. Way to go. And I pet him, and, and we do it again. He's rewarded for it handsomely in, in a way that, you know, resonates with a dog. Uh, he, and by the way, objectively, number four, he is great at it. He is a great retriever. Really, truly phenomenal. And... I also notice this, number five, he's passionate about it. Like, he loves to do this. And, and, if I don't protect him from himself, he will run himself into the ground. I'd like to suggest to you this morning, with all respect, do or not do, with all respect, You and I are a lot like Gus. The very things that we do well, the things that we're made for, the things that we're trained to do, the things that we're rewarded for doing, that we're passionate about doing, all of those things, if we're not careful, those very things can literally run us into the ground. They're the things that burn us out, the things that run us down. And it's against this backdrop of reality that God, in his infinite wisdom, his amazing sovereignty and grace, God has given us the gift of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift from God to protect us from ourselves, from those drives and desires, the ambitions and the needs that drive us through the week. God says, I'm calling you. He even says, I'm commanding you to rest, to take a day and intentionally rest. It's this this idea that that it's, it's actually a gift to rest from our labors, to quit working, to quit striving, to quit fearing, but to actually get some of this soul rest. Last week, we started this series, The Rest of the Story. And we, we've established as the foundation for this whole teaching series the invitation that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, Jesus says the following. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, who are burned out, broken down, and I will give you, you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Just just that invitation alone is kind of like, yes, please, could I have some more? Could we please have some? I love the way Eugene Peterson, pastor and author and theologian, paraphrased this invitation of Jesus's. His translation of the Bible is a paraphrase called The Message, and this is how he paraphrases Jesus' words. He said that Jesus is actually saying here, in a way that resonates with the 21st century, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that a great turn of a phrase? The unforced rhythms of grace. Sabbath is an unforced rhythm of grace. It is a gift, and I think that's actually a really important place for us to begin as we talk about Sabbath, because, you know, it's it's imperative that we understand this is from the heart of God to the heart of people. He said, this is is for you. I've given you Sabbath for you. Now, to be sure, there is a commandment, the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter twenty. where where the Bible says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's a commandment, but never forget that even the commands of God are an expression of grace. He's given us the commands to show us how to live the fullest life possible in relationship with him. So every time we keep the commands, every time we demonstrate that we trust him more than we trust ourselves or more than we trust current fads and trends, every time that happens, he gets glory and we get good. He gets glory and we get good. Whenever you glorify God, whenever you honor God with your life, with your words, with your songs, whenever you honor and glorify God, that feeds the soul. You're created, like I was created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, the old catechism says. Because that's what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. There is this invitation to rest because of who God is, because of what we've seen Him do. And it's this invitation that is Sabbath. Now, I have to tell you, as we, kind of dive into this today, there's no way to study Sabbath. There's no way to look at it and prayerfully, biblically consider it and how we're going to live it out that we don't kind of take a look at it and go, man, I, I mean, I don't know. We're probably going to have one of four responses, or, or maybe, a, a, maybe all, you may, some of you may go all of the above. You, there may be this tendency to go, man, are you kidding me? No way. No way can I take a whole day off? not running around chasing my tail, not living life on the back of a fire truck. No way. Or you may be thinking as we go through this, God, I'm a terrible Christian. I don't even know if I'm going to heaven. And, and you think, or, or you may even think I'm a terrible parent. My kids don't even know what the Sabbath is. Or more than likely, more than a few of us are saying this. That ain't me. That doesn't apply to me. That, that's That's for other people. I I don't need a day off, Jack. I'm a hard charger. I'm a hard charger. I don't need that. I'm type A. And and I, I get it. I really do. But can I just tell you that none of those responses, not one of them is from God. Not one of those is true. Every time God gives us a commandment, he also gives us the capacity to fulfill that commandment. He empowers us to do that which we cannot do on our own. So we have to collaborate. We have to partner with God on this thing. And when we do, take a look at those objections. First of all, that, that's, there's no way. Well, maybe humanly speaking, maybe culturally speaking, there's no way, but yeah, there, there is a way. We're talking about the God who raised Jesus from the dead. You could take a day off. We're talking about God calling us to this, inviting us into this Sabbath, this this rest, this cessation from working and laboring and striving. I'm a terrible Christian or a terrible parent. Let me ask you something. What of that thought or reflex sounds like Jesus who invites you to find rest in your soul? that's not who Jesus is. That's that's not how he operates. Now, he may, in his love and grace, point out some things in your life or in my life that need to change, that need to get better for his glory and our good, but he's, he's not casting guilt on us. Also, to say, well, I'm not that guy, that doesn't apply to me, or that girl, that doesn't apply to me. Well, yeah, it does. I mean, Yes, you're created in the image of God. You are unique in all of human history. You have the only thumbprint that has ever been like your thumbprint. And you're not that special. You're not. You are a human being created in the image of God, just like I am a human being created in the image of God. And if he has given us the gift of Sabbath, that's for all of us. Nobody's that special. Nobody's that indispensable. I want to recommend a great book to you. I found this as I was researching and preparing for this series. It was written by a former United States Senator, Joseph Lieberman. Joseph Lieberman is a senator from, was a senator from Connecticut and an observant Jew. He wrote a book called The Gift of Rest, and it is an amazing, amazing testimony to the gift of Sabbath, or in the Hebrew, Shabbat. And he tells the story of growing up and learning the traditions of the Sabbath and the Shabbat and carrying them through. He tells one story at the beginning of the book. I'm not ruining anything for you, but he says that there was a vote that happened on the Senate floor that he had to be present for that took them into the hours of Friday evening past sundown when Jewish Sabbath begins. And so he completed his task, but then he walked home so as to not violate the orthodox prohibition against riding in a car on Sabbath. And he's walking home with his security detail in the rain. And he's talking about how he, he gets home and he's, he brings flowers home every day at the beginning of Shabbat, every week at the beginning of Shabbat. And he walks in the door soaking wet. The flowers are soaking wet but it's another Shabbat. It's another opportunity to stop and rest as a family. It's an amazing, amazing story. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, man, whoa, bruh, take a car, Uber, do something. And I understand that that can sound legalistic to our minds, but I do think there is an opportunity here for us to learn from that example, not that we have to observe all of the traditional rules of Shabbat, but maybe to step back and go, are we getting all of the Sabbath that we can? If this is a gift from God, are we robbing ourselves of this gift from God by the schedules that we keep, the calendars that we make? Is there a way for us to maybe get at this a different way? Let me me give you just a working definition of Sabbath. Sabbath, in in, in the original context, in the original language, Sabbath means this, to cease work faithfully. To cease work faithfully. It's kind of the original cease and desist letter. If you're doing something that violates a contract, you get a cease and desist letter. God says to work seven days a week, to keep grinding, is violating the covenant relationship we were created to live in with him. Jesus even affirms the Sabbath. Look in Mark chapter two. In Mark chapter two, verse 27 through 28, these are the words of Jesus. He says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to meet the needs of people. I love the the times that we've gotten to spend in Israel. It's an amazing, amazing journey, an amazing culture. And I would suggest to you that no one on the planet does significance better than Israel. What I mean by significance is the Jewish people's capacity to convey meaning, truth, through signs and symbols, architecture, traditions and rituals. It is such a rich, deep, deep well of significance. And one of the tools that they use even to this day throughout most of Israel is the Sabbath or Shabbat. Now, again, some of these things might sound a little extreme to you and me. For example, in in a lot of buildings in Israel on the Sabbath, Shabbat, they have what they call a Sabbath elevator. That means that the elevators stop on every floor on the way down so that you don't have to do the work of pushing the button. The restaurants in a hotel will prepare food for Saturday on Friday before sundown and then put it out so that no one is lighting a fire or preparing food or working on Shabbat. And again, I understand that we're probably not gonna push this as far as that goes, but there's another tradition that I think helps us to get at the heart of Sabbath it helps us to understand that Sabbath is not a noun. We think of Sabbath and we think of a day, the Sabbath. But in the original Hebrew language, it is a verb. Remember, to cease working faithfully. Faithfully, to remember God as creator, recognize him as our provider, our sustainer in the present but also because of what he has done in the past and in the present, we know that our future is secure, that, that we have hope for the future because of who God is. We, we love to, to like on the, the themes and the memes on Instagram. You know, you have you ever seen this, this thing? Um, and it, it's true, by the way. It so it's like, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, right? Well, Sabbath is maybe the greatest most ordinary, regular, consistent statement of that idea that there is. We, we love. oh man, I, I, I believe the Lord. I have faith in God. But you won't take a day off? You, you won't set aside time with your family, with friends to worship? What, what are we thinking about? What, what, are we, what are we really doing here? And this, this one tradition in Israel that I want to get at, I think, helps us to understand why this is so, so important. As Jewish people greet each other as the Sabbath approaches and throughout the day of the Shabbat, they say to one another the following Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face, tell them, Shabbat shalom. That just kind of felt good to say it, didn't it? Shabbat shalom. Now, the the literal translation for you and me into English would be Sabbath peace. And we would think, well, that's a nice gesture. I like that. But you, you don't understand. The word peace doesn't convey everything that shalom holds. The idea of shalom is this idea of completeness, wholeness. It's not just the absence of conflict. It is is this fullest expression of human flourishing. The thing that God created us for before sin corrupted creation. It's this idea that God has created us to live in this relationship with him where we we have everything that we need, Adam and Eve before sin, That, that, that in him is found everything. And so, yes, the absence of conflict is a part of that, but there's also this, this, this notion of completeness and, and wholeness that, that helps us understand. It's like when Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, overflowing life. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about Christianity as life that is truly life. That's shalom. So to say Shabbat shalom is actually a blessing that you pronounce over the other person. They pronounce over your life. Here's what Shabbat shalom means in the Hebrew. It says, may you be restored to completeness as you Sabbath. May you be restored to completeness as you Sabbath. So this idea of Sabbath as a verb, we, we Sabbath to recover that which is lost throughout the week, that which the world beats out of us, that which we sometimes can forget because we're so busy, because we're moving in so many different directions. We're scattered. Our, our minds, our hearts become divided. In Sabbathing, we are brought back into wholeness, back into completion. Instead of disintegrating, we integrate every part of life with the God who created us and gave us this life. And and when you start to understand Shabbat Shalom, then you're kind of like, well, now it's not so much what do I have to do. It's like, how do I get a piece of that? How do I, how do I taste that? How do I experience that? That's, That's what we're after throughout this whole series, the rest of the story. Yes, we want to understand Jesus' invitation to soul rest, but we want to understand it on the way to actually experiencing it. I don't want to just know something, baby. I want to do it. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. How How do we rest our souls? God says one day a week. Just... Just cease striving. Cease working. Cease worrying for the purposes of intentional worship to, to, just, to just slow down. I, I love it sometimes, and I've had this conversation before, but a lot of times, and it, it usually happens with men, not always, not always, but usually with men, I, I'll hear something like this. Mac." <laughs> I'm as close to God and a deer blind as I have ever been at church. And I and I believe listen, I've had some incredible moments with God and a deer blind. I have. For you, maybe it's on the on a mountaintop somewhere or at the beach, and and I get it. I I honestly mean that. I do. But it's not the same. If, If all we're talking about is consuming experience with God, then yeah, you, you can get that in a deer blind. You can get it on a mountaintop or a beach side. But we're called to not only consume, but, but to be contributors to shalom, to contribute to the community of shalom, to be together, to, to worship together, to pray together, to laugh together, to rest together. A few months ago, a really, really, really close couple friend of ours called Julie and me and said, we want to take you to eat at this restaurant we just found out. It is killer. We were like, dude, I'm in. Night came. They took us downtown to this tragically hip and trendy restaurant. We walked in, raised the median age by about 15 years. The food was unbelievable. Appetizers make you slap your mama. (laughs) The main course dishes, you shared family style. Never in my life. The dessert, I'm pretty sure is how dessert will taste in heaven. And the company was even better. The company was even better. Before we even realized that we had been sitting at the table for two hours. It was so good that just a few weeks, a few days ago, Julie and I said, you know what, we're gonna do the same thing. Let's us make the reservation and call them and tell them to meet us there. And if they can't go, we'll go. (laughs) Fortunately, they could go. This time, same experience with the food except we sat there for three hours hanging out. We laughed. We talked about, compared notes on kids, work, kind of you know told some stories about being married and funny stuff that we could relate to. We, it, was, it was incredible. Finally, it looked like the restaurant was kind of clearing out, so we decided to leave. We went to our car, they went to their car, And as Julie and I were pulling out, Julie said something so profound. She said, that was just refueling. It was just refueling. That's Sabbath. It's refueling. Refueling the soul. That's why in Exodus chapter 20, God commands us, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Keeping it holy means to set it apart, set it apart for the purposes of God. Keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. God rested. I want you to just let, kind of let that rattle around in the old hamster wheel for a second. God rested. I've thought about that before. It's not like God needed a breather. It's not like God got to the end of creation and went, <laughs> Gatorade. He was still omnipotent, all-powerful, but he rested. He rested as an example to you and to me. If God rested, how much more do we need rest? Two things I want to leave you with. Just, Just to think about as you plan, as you order your life around your relationship with God. Number one, Sabbath like God. Sabbath like God. If God Sabbathed, he did it for you and me, to imitate, to mimic him. If I'm not Sabbathing, then I'm not following Christ in an area that I can absolutely follow Christ into. That's entirely doable in his power, in his name, Sabbath like God. Now, the reality is you can Put something on your calendar and to-do list and and it not not have the the power that God wants it to have. That's when we do slip into legalism. So the second thing I wanna encourage you with and invite you into, Sabbath like God, but number two, Sabbath like you trust God. Sabbath, like you really and truly trust Him. One of the things that I love to do just in my own faith walk and journey is to just sometimes look back over God's track record, look back over what I've seen Him do in my life, around my life, in people that I know, and I just, it's overwhelming to look at the goodness of God and his track record. I kind of think that that gets maybe even more overwhelming as you get older, because you got more evidence to look at. But one of the things that I think about is, look at all that God has done to bring me to this place, to carry me through when I couldn't carry myself, and I go, look at, look at how faithful he's been There is no way, no way he's brought us all the way this far to leave us hanging. There's no way that he's done everything he's done to bring you to this moment, to this place in your life, to just wish you well. And so if I really, truly trust him for tomorrow, then once a week, I can Sabbath. I can choose to cease working and striving and worrying. We, maybe, maybe you are playing, maybe you are doing, getting some R and R, rest and recreation. But that trust thing, that's what it's all about. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I wanna, I wanna focus you in, I wanna focus myself and my heart in on Jesus's invitation to soul rest. That happens in relationship, in relationship with Christ. If you're here today or maybe watching online and you've never stepped into that relationship, you've never responded personally, definitively to his grace initiative, man, we would love to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You may be here in the room, you may be watching online or maybe watching days from now in another country no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, Jesus invites you like he's invited me into that soul rest of relationship with him. If you want to begin that, then you pray. Just in this moment with your head bowed as a sign of reverence, silently from your heart to God's, just say something like this. Just, Jesus, I need you. I need, I want this rest in my soul. And I believe that you will do what you promised and give it to me. So I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back in order to claim and receive your grace and forgiveness. And I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. And so Jesus, I will follow you with everything I have from this moment forward. I pray this prayer, Lord, in your name. As our heads are bowed, again, in reverence for this this moment, this sacred time, just if that was your prayer, then this is the greatest moment of your life. The Bible says that it is a once and for all moment. You don't have to pray that prayer again to make sure that it took or to to you know, re-up, the Bible says it is sealed for eternity by the Holy Spirit of God. And so as a church family, we would love to be able to do whatever we can to help with what's next. This is just the beginning. If you're online, there's a little thing there called the hub, if you would just let us know that you made that decision. If you're in the room, there's a, an actual physical hub outside as you exit, if you'll just stop and let somebody know, "Today was my day. I prayed that prayer. And then we'll just we'll come alongside at whatever pace works for you to help in this new relationship that you have with God. As our heads are bowed, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. And understand that your hand in the air just means that you are stating silently the commitment spiritually that you just made. In our family tradition around here, as you put your hands down, as we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.